Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, what a time of celebration and worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So over the last few um, months in our night of worship gatherings, we've been harvesting wisdom for daily living from the book of Proverbs. And presently, we're looking at principles from Proverbs and also from other parts of Scripture on choosing a life mate. Now, the reality is choosing a life partner is a huge decision. And yet, so many people make this life-impacting decision more on the basis of emotion uh, than rational thought. And uh, so that's going to be the focus and has been the focus of this mini-series. And so far, we've covered the following four biblical principles on choosing a life partner. The first principle is this, be content as a single before you seek your mate. Uh, Secondly, seek someone who is spiritually compatible with you. Thirdly, seek someone with godly character. And fourthly, seek God and trust God to help you seek your mate. In other words, don't make seeking a mate uh, the central focus of your life. Don't become obsessed with it. Rather, live all out for Jesus. Trust him to lead you, to guide you in this matter of seeking a mate. Now, sorry, I just don't have time to give a bit of summary on those four principles, but you can access the first two parts of this mini-series online and uh, through our, words, our, our church website. Uh, so let's move on to principle number five, which is seek someone that you're compatible with. Uh, we've already talked about the importance of spiritual compatibility, and I dealt with it separately because spiritual compatibility is huge. Um, but so are a number of other areas you need to give consideration to. For example, how compatible are you relationally? Proverbs 25, 24 says, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a home with a quarreling spouse. This verse paints a rather graphic mental picture that says, unless you want to spend most of your married life avoiding each other and sleeping in separate rooms, you may want to pay attention to how compatible you are before you marry this person. You see, you may love your girlfriend or boyfriend, but do you like them? Now, I know that seems like a ridiculous question, but you can love someone and not like them very much. For example, I've had people tell me they love their parents, but they don't like them very much. And when I ask how that's possible, they say, well, I love them because they're my parents. They've been there for me through thick and thin. They provide for me. um, And they've done that down through the years. But they go on to say, but I don't like spending a lot of time with them because they always fight with each other. Or because they're hypersensitive, get easily offended. And I always feel like I'm walking on eggshells around them. You know, that's something that I say or something that I do will tick them off and they'll blow up. 
or they'll give me the silent treatment for a month. Now, some of you are sitting there going, yep, I can relate to that. Well, the same thing can be true in your relationship with the person that you're contemplating marrying. You see, in the romantic phase with this person, which can last somewhere between a week to uh, probably up to two years, you can fall in love with the wrong things. You can fall in love with how someone looks or how good it feels to have them at your side when um, you're out with others. You know, in the same way that you might feel good showing off the new car that you just purchased, you can fall in love with how popular they are, how powerful they are in their career, how much they have, how much money and possessions they have. You can fall in love with one or more of these areas and be so swept up by them that you ignore or you dismiss the fact that there are already aspects of this person's character or personality that makes you wince, that, that makes you embarrassed to be associated with them. And so here's a guy who can hardly stand spending more than an hour with the gal that he's dating because she's flaky, she's self-absorbed, and she's just plain boring to talk to. But he will marry her anyways because she's physically gorgeous. Or here's a gal going out with a guy who often speaks to her in a demeaning way, embarrasses her because he's kind of proud, he's touchy, he will speak rudely to a waiter, or at the drop of a hat he'll pick a fight or or get upset with a complete stranger over some irrelevant issue. But she agrees to marry him because he's rich. Or she's just desperate to get married. And that trumps everything else. Hello! Okay, let's everybody stand up. Come on, stand up. And let's all together say, Hello! All right, let's give God of God praise. Let's go. Let's give him a praise break. All right. All right. Good. All right. You may be seated. So, can I be completely honest? If there are already a number of things about the person that you're dating that embarrass you, that set your teeth on edge, are you prepared to live with these things for the next 50 years? And by the way, if your battle plan is to change him, <laughs> you know, nag them, hound them to death, may I say respectfully, you'll change them all right for the worse. You'll drive them crazy to the place where they won't like you much either. Folks, please don't go into marriage with this idea, oh, it'll all work out. You know, I'll be able to change them. Now again, we, we can't expect a person to be perfect. If you're looking for Mr. or Miss Perfect, plan on being single the rest of your life. <laughs> but having said that, don't go to the other extreme. Don't turn a blind eye to glaring character and personality issues that in your honest moments, you have to admit are driving you crazy already. So here's a question you need to answer with brutal honesty. Yes, you may be romantically and sexually attracted to this person 
And you may be head over heels in love with them, but do you actually like them? Do you enjoy being around them? I'm not saying do you enjoy looking and kissing their beautiful face and cuddling their amazing body. No, do you actually like being in relationship with this person? Do you enjoy having meaningful, stimulating conversations with this person about stuff that matters? Remember, you want to marry someone that you actually are eager, eager to live with, not just put up with. Here's another area to consider. How compatible are you in the way that you love to spend your free time outside of work? Now, of course, no couple will be perfectly aligned in everything, but it's a wonderful blessing when they're passionate about the same things and enjoy doing similar things together. If you like rural or small-town living and your boyfriend or girlfriend can't stand the thought of living in a rural setting, this may not seem like a big issue right now, but it will become a point of mounting tension with the passing of time. If you'd love to work uh, or live overseas, or you feel called to be a missionary somewhere in the other, another part of the world, you better be open and honest about that now. You know, don't surprise your spouse, you know, after you're married. Because the reality is your spouse will have enormous veto power over where you live and what you do. If relaxing for you is finding a quiet place away from people, reading a good book in a comfortable chair with a cappuccino in hand, and your boyfriend or girlfriend's idea of relaxing is camping and partying with a bunch of obnoxious friends, or exploring every square foot of the island that you are on. This may be kind of cute, something to laugh about when you're dating, but trust me, it will be a major source of irritation one or two years into your marriage. If you love to worship like we are tonight, the first thing you do, if the first thing you do when facing a big decision or a crisis of some sort is to go to God in prayer. If you like to hang out with and serve others alongside friends who love Jesus and you know deep down inside that your boyfriend or girlfriend really isn't into all of that, I can assure you that you will face conflict and spiritual loneliness and grief in your marriage and your future children will be spiritually confused trying to figure out why mom and her parents are into Jesus and his church and why dad and his parents aren't. You see, when God says don't be spiritually incompatible, he's not trying to spoil our fun. He's not trying to make our life difficult. He's wanting to spare us from the heartache and the inevitable uh, uh, pain that accompanies spiritual compatibility. If you want to have children and your boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't. Or if you want to have one or two, and they'd like to have a dozen or two, <laughs> I strongly suggest you talk this one through. Now I'm rhyming again. You also need to find agreement in how you're going to raise your children and who is going to raise your children. If both of you want to pursue your careers, but one, one or both of you want the other, 
to be at home with your children, then you have a big problem that needs to be talked about and realistic solutions agreed upon. In short, whatever you do, be honest about what an ideal marriage looks like for you, what you want your marriage to be and what your expectations are. See, far too many couples today are so crazy in love and set on getting married no matter what or winning over the heart of the person that they're dating, they will often say what they think the other person wants to hear. And folks, let me put it to you straight. Doing this is not only incredibly short-sighted, but it's fraud. You are outright lying to win over this person. And one day, you are both going to pray dearly for your dishonesty. If you want your family to love Jesus and live all out for Jesus, if you want to live in a small town or overseas, have a dozen kids, if, 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 uh, and have one of you home with the kids during the day, be honest about it. Be honest about it. That's principle number five. Seek someone you're compatible with. Principle number six, seek someone who honors you sexually. Joshua Harris says, you can't love what you don't know. You can't be truly loved if you're not truly known. Now, the reality is far too many people get to know each other's bodies better and much sooner than they get to know each other personally, emotionally, and spiritually. Gary Thomas, in his book, The Sacred Search, a book I believe is a must-read for anybody that's thinking about getting married, and they should read it before they get engaged, says that when a couple are sexually intimate, there is a neurological bonding that occurs between them. Now, in marriage, he says, this neurological bonding is brilliant because no matter how much mind-blowing attraction there is between a man and a woman during the courtship phase of their relationship, the romantic chemistry they have will begin to fade about a year or so into their marriage. And sexual intimacy in marriage is God's amazing solution to reigniting a couple's affection, feelings, and passion for each other and re-cements, as it were, their love and commitment to each other. However, he says, outside of a committed married, marriage relationship, sexual intimacy can actually give a couple a false confidence that they love each other and that they're meant for each other. For example, let's say that they've been seeing each other for a year or two, and as with most couples, their infatuation is fading a bit. And in their honest moments, it's becoming increasingly clear to both of them that they aren't particularly a good match. But then, they're sexually intimate. And they experience a neurochemical affection for each other which puts a fog over their brain and a fog over the truth of their compatibility and makes them feel that they must really love each other and should be together. But when the fog lifts and common sense sets in, they're confronted again with the reality that they aren't a wise match, but then they're sexually intimate again. And the deceptive cycle continues. 
In other words, premarital sex often leads to unhealthy bonding in a couple's relationship that can make them feel like they belong together and actually keep them from being objective about their suitability as a couple. The truth is, God created us, he wired us up, and he knows what's best for us. In Genesis 2, verse 24, we find God's blueprint for sexual intimacy. It says this, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now the phrase become one flesh refers to sexual intimacy and I want you to notice that God says here that sexual intimacy is to be between a husband and a wife. In other words, they're united in marriage. It doesn't say between two unmarried people who are dating. It says between a husband and wife who are united in marriage. Now if you think that this is just an Old Testament, old school idea that no longer applies to the New Testament era, Jesus affirmed this as the moral context for sexual expression by actually quoting this verse himself in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. Now, if this statement here, think about this, if the statement in Genesis is God's moral context for sex, then logically, any sexual relations outside of this context is what the Bible refers to as sexually immoral. And that would include sexual relations between two unmarried people. Now, we can see God's design in this. Because as we've just seen, sexual intimacy outside of marriage often blinds or at least inhibits a couple's ability to accurately judge their suitability as a couple. Or in the words of Joshua Harris, prevents them from really knowing each other and therefore truly loving each other. And if you think about it, the purpose of dating or courting is to truly know each other as individuals. Our dreams, our goals, our spiritual walk with God, and all these other things. So here's the thing. Sex without genuine love is counterfeit sex. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? He gave his life for the church. There is no greater love than this. Christ's love is totally unselfish. If you truly love a person, you will honor God by honoring them sexually, by sacrificing your sexual impulses and sexual desires for them, to honor them. Christ-like love sees the dignity in the other person as made in the image of God. It benefits, it respects, it does not degrade or take advantage for, of, um, uh, of another person for self-gratification. True love waits and gives priority to exploring the other person's character, their spiritual walk, and their compatibility. Furthermore, sex without faithfulness is counterfeit sex. Any love not committed to the future is not love. To say, I will love you today, but I'm not sure about tomorrow, is to say, I really don't love you at all. A number of years ago, when I was youth pastor and young adult pastor here at Center Street Church, I had a young man approach me after um, a talk on sexual purity. And he asked me, okay, when you're dating, 
How far is too far, sexually speaking? I said, well, let me answer that like this. Let's say that we're best friends, you and me, and we're both unmarried. The girl that I'm dating, even though you don't know it yet, one day will be your wife. So we're going, getting quite close, your future wife and I. And I come to you one day and I ask you the question that you just asked me. Bill, how far is too far, sexually speaking? Knowing that the gal that I'm dating is going to be your wife someday, how far would you want us to go, sexually speaking? Well, he knew where this was going. And he said, oh man, he said, I, I never thought of that. Never thought of it that way. He says, I guess it'd be okay if you held her hand. I said, there's your answer. Now go and do thou likewise. <laughs> and here's the reason. Even though you may think it's okay to be sexually intimate with the woman that you're with, because you're both in love and you believe that you will get married one day, you can't be certain the two of you will be married one day. The reality is, she could die tomorrow in a car accident. The reality is she could change her mind and break up with you next week. And both of you, two years from now, could be married to different people. And I said, look at what Proverbs 5.15 says. It says, be faithful and true to your wife. Now here's the thing. This command isn't directed just to men who are presently married. It is also directed to men who will be husbands in the future. And it says, be faithful and true to your wife, present or future. The Bible says, guys, give your love, give your love to your wife alone. Gals, give your love to your husband alone. Even long before you meet your spouse, keep your love for them alone. Now make no mistake, I'm not saying staying sexually pure is easy. When you're infatuated with someone, and particularly if you are compatible spiritually, personally, character-wise, in our sexually charged culture, it's going to be excruciatingly, excruciatingly difficult to honor God and your partner by choosing to stay sexually pure. But you can trust God's word, that God's way is the best way to go, and you'll never regret doing it his way. Now, before I go on, I want to talk to those who have already been sexually intimate outside of marriage. I want you to know that the purpose of this message isn't to resurrect your past. It isn't to add more pain and regret to your life. No, the focus of this message is on the decisions you will make going forward. And if you have given your love away to someone who isn't your spouse, 
I simply want you to know that Jesus died and he rose from the grave to set you free from everything that's keeping you from living a new life in Christ. And so remember this. If you will sincerely acknowledge your sin to the Lord and you'll ask him to forgive you and you'll commit to keeping your love for your future spouse alone, the same Jesus who by his grace healed your soul from, the, from your sins and regrets, this same Jesus will also make you sexually whole again and present you pure and undefiled not only before Almighty God, but to your future or present husband. Believe it. Even if you don't feel it, believe it has occurred because Jesus will do it and has done it on the cross. And then finally, the seventh principle is this. Seek someone who shares the same mission that you do. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, in the context of selecting a life partner, Jesus is essentially challenging us to think about the greatest reason we want to marry this person. And, he, and he's saying that even though attraction and character, compatibility, and all the other things we've talked about in this series, all of those are critically important in the selection of a mate. None is more important than marrying someone who is as passionate as you are about pursuing God in the mission that he's called you to. Now you may believe the two of you have something really special going and question whether both of you are uh, being committed to the, the same mission should be the most important quality to look for in a mate. But hear me on this. Even if both of you are incredibly attractive, compatible, funny, and have captivating personalities, and even if you have everything going for you, money, possessions, health, and, and a good job, mark my words, eventually your infatuation for each other will fade, and you'll get bored with each other. Now, if you don't believe me, think of the endless list of all the attractive, rich, famous couples in Hollywood, like Brad Pitt and Angeline Jolie, you know, who have it all, but somewhere along the way, the romance, the great sex, sort of died, which led to hurtful words and actions, excessive drinking, and irreconcilable differences. The relationship that once they could not envision being without now feels like a prison that they desperately want to escape from. Jesus says here, the factor that will keep your marriage relationship rich is loving Jesus and being on mission together. I know it's ironic, but the best way to kill your marriage is to focus too much on your marriage. To focus too much on the happiness quotient of your marriage. And not to focus enough, and not focusing enough on a Christ-centered marriage. You know, I talk to people who are struggling in their marriage. 
I hear things like, the love and the romance is gone. We just fight all the time. I don't feel loved and respected anymore. I don't have, we don't have anything in common anymore. Well, I don't want to minimize the very real issues that couple face in their marriage or suggest that there is a quick fix to some of the issues you may be facing. But I believe most of the issues couples are struggling with would begin to fade significantly if they stopped living half-hearted Christianity and instead decided to trust Jesus, to be all in with Jesus, and passionately pursue the mission that he's called us to. Francis Chan says this about his marriage to his wife Lisa. Truth be told, Lisa and I have very little in common. I love sports, she doesn't. She loves them all, I hate it with a passion. She likes to sing and I sing like a cow. I love weird Asian food, she thinks it's creepy. I love to surf, she won't go in the ocean. She likes serious conversations, I enjoy sarcasm. She loves Jesus, I love Jesus. And that's enough. He goes on to say, it's our mutual love for Jesus that binds us, and our love for his mission in particular. We both love helping people turn to Jesus, repent of their sin, and be filled with the Spirit. I love watching Lisa share her faith, discipling young women, care for the poor, minister to children. This may sound weird, but watching her minister attracts me to her even more. And she loves it when I speak for God fearlessly. Even when others hate it, she encourages me to minister and assures me that she will take good care of the kids while I'm out speaking and serving. We love being on mission together. In fact, it is the times when we neglect the mission and just focus on our own desires that conflict arises between us. Staying on mission is what draws us closer together. Honestly, we don't spend much time working on our unity. The unity has come as a result of being on mission. It has been a byproduct of serving the Lord. I'll close with a brief story of a couple that came to a place in their married life where they had lost all feelings for one another. And they were bored just going through the motions of their married life. All they had in common was their son. He would soon be graduating from high school. Both had decided on their own that when their son graduated and went off to college, they would leave each other. And then something happened in their life. It actually happened in her life first. She opened up her life to God and to God's love and concern for those who are far from him. And as she drew closer in her walk with Jesus, she developed a growing burden for girls trapped in the sex industry. She stepped out and she began to minister to the gals in this industry. Over time, she started her own nonprofit ministry dedicated to rescuing girls from this sick and depraved industry. While her passion for the mission that God had given to her was so contagious, 
that her husband felt drawn to serve alongside her. And as he witnessed her passion for Jesus and her compassion for these girls, he fell in love with her all over again. And today they are more in love than ever as they are on mission together, serving their Lord. Friend, this is the power of being on mission with Jesus as an individual, but also as a couple. And so here's the question that I dare you to ask before you contemplate marrying someone. Will this person help me or hinder me from loving Jesus and fully living out the mission that Jesus has called me to? I plead with you not to ignore that question. If loving Jesus and being on mission with Jesus is the greatest desire of your heart, then marry someone who shares your passion and convictions now. Not someone who says all the right things, but you know really doesn't share your passion for Jesus. No, marry someone who loves Jesus and is living all out for him now. Would you please stand? Open your hands before Jesus. Let's open our hands to him right now. There's two questions I want us to ask. Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And Lord, what is it that you want me to do about it? Just take a moment right now and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. some of you are thinking, Pastor, I'll never find a mate with the qualities that you've just described. Well, here's the thing. The key to finding the right person is in being the right person. And being the right person begins with putting our trust in Jesus, asking him to forgive us of our sins and our regrets, and then asking him to invade our lives and make us into the person he wants us to be. It begins with us committing to being all in with Jesus and pursuing a close friendship with him and carrying out the assignments that he gives to us. And you see, as we do, he will begin to change us from the inside out. And we will begin to reflect the character and the life of Jesus. And the more we reflect the heart of Jesus, the more we will be drawn to those who are on a similar journey with Jesus and the more they will be drawn to us. The key to finding the right person is being the right person in Jesus. We're going to take several moments right now for reflection and prayer. If you sense Jesus calling you to trust him, to give your life to him, to be all in with him, make your way up here.
talk to one of the prayer partners, talk to me about your desire to trust Jesus with your life and with your eternity. If you have some other need, maybe totally unrelated to anything I've talked about today, you come on up here too because there are people up here and they're making their way up here right now. These people love to pray. They love to pray for people. Give them the privilege of praying for you. Make your way up here while we continue our worship. But let's seek the Lord. Let's be honest with Him. Let's allow Him not only into our lives, but to change us from the inside out. All God's people said, Amen. Just come and pray. Come and pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.